0: before we get into today's episode i've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an amazon gift card so there's a link in the description for the episode click it fill out the questionnaire and i look forward to hearing your feedback now for today's episode this is the michael bryan show Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Bill Aguardo who is the former executive director of the Bronx Council over in the States and he's also one of the people that manage NFOCA which essentially brings the arts to the community. Everyone from the un I can't think of the word now, Uh, from unprivileged communities and varied backgrounds as well. So um, Bill thanks so much for joining me today.
1: And thank you so much. And welcome to the Bronx.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the Bronx. Nice. So I'd be curious about how you actually got into this, because arts is something that I imagine loads of people have their own individual story of how they got into it. So what was yours?
1: Well, uh, I started working at the Bronx Council on the Arts actually as a way to get a... I realized that the impact and the success I wanted to empower my efforts with others empower the community against the, the corrupt politicians that existed in the Bronx at the time, uh, was not going to work. And, and it was, I mean, it was a real disappointment. Coming out of the 60s, um, one could organize and, you know, we all played our part in ending the war in Vietnam, and and then and then with Nixon, uh, the President Nixon, uh, um, you know, he was impeached and he resigned. To uh, to I decided I need, I I needed something else for the time being, some sort of interim thing. And I have to say, no matter what kind of work I ever did, I always had the arts involved. It's an arts was a way to communicate with people. and arts was a way to educate students. And also was a way to, uh, to provide a voice. Uh, I was able to provide a voice for artists. And to me, that was the most critical uh, 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 value to me. Artists need voices, artists need to be supported. I, I made it a point in my life uh, whoever I hire, whoever I commission, whoever I engage, you know what you have to do, do it. All I ask in return, If there is gonna be a problem. I wanna know, I wanna be the first to know. So I took this job, I figure at the Bronx Council on the Arts, uh, it was charged with serving the artists and communities and arts organizations at the Bronx. And you can imagine back in the late 70s, uh, when I when I became, when I started working at the Bronx Council of the Arts, you know, there was a beginning of fires in the South Bronx and all the devastation that existed in, in, in the various communities. But one thing that remained constant was that the arts survived and that arts remained in the community. And the arts may have, by that i mean not just the visual arts i'm talking about music music captured the souls of the people who, who stayed did not leave the bronx and can and fought for its survival fought for its uh to create strong communities uh and that that became quite apparent to me that uh, artists with their voices. Now, whether there's formal arts, like uh, uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, theater groups, or, or chamber music, or, or, or dance companies or galleries, and informal arts, which is happens in communities and uh, in buildings and, and community centers, public spaces. The two of them, in my estimation, had, had equal value. Uh, and I enjoyed, you know, I was always uh, in, the, in, in, in the community. I was a community organizer, for uh, an and community organizer before I came to the Bronx Council on the Arts. So it was, uh, and I enjoyed being out in the streets with the artists, you know, it's, and, and I ran a grants program for the, uh, for the arts organizations and community groups. So to me, it was, and I, I and I would visit each applicant, and to go in the, in the summer, to go on the rooftop of a building to observe a Latin jazz band practicing on the roof at midnight. You know, these, these are guys that came out of work at six, seven, eight o'clock. You know, not only was it a an emotional release practicing, but was also a creative release. Yeah. You know, it just you know that left such an imprint. You know, art is going to create, be created no matter what and by whom. So, how do I level the playing field? How do I enable groups, community groups, garden groups, choirs, gospel groups? To feel empowered that they can apply for a grant that they can, you know, applying for a grant is the amount of money that we gave out was not it was it was not that significant. When we were talking about the early '80s. I had forty thousand dollars to give out to uh, uh, to a borough of uh, one point two million, which at the time was like the sixth or seventh, eighth largest city, if it were the, the Bronx of Rome. but the the affirmation of the panel deciding who gets funded and the the group that's funded, uh, they may not be an arts group, but they have strong cultural programs, strong arts. The soul was the arts and they didn't know anything about funding for the arts. For them to to receive that affirmation, to be affirmed that you, that the quality that you're producing merit, support, and was equal to some of the other organizations, arts organizations. That's important for a community. That's important for a group of people, that what they do is important. Uh, eventually, the, in the early 80s, the executive director relocated to Los Angeles, California, and he recommended strongly that I would become the executive director of the Bronx Council on the Arts. And that's the last thing I wanted was to manage an organization. And I was having so much fun. I was I was single. I, I didn't need a lot. You know, I was, in, I was observing a lot of art. I was hanging out with artists. We had these uh, We would meet and discuss issues, and it was just superb a a superb experience for me, but the board kept on insisting, and I kept on rejecting it and rejecting it, and finally I agreed. I would be the acting executive director, and I would find someone to to replace me. As I managed the Bronze Council of the Arts, I also said I would look for someone. Well, it took me 30 years before I found someone to to, 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 to replace me. (laughs) And I retired, and I, I think it was about 2010. It was an incredible, spiritual, soulful experience. Meeting artists, working with artists. And again, another lesson I learned early on is hire artists to work in your staff, hire intelligent artists, hire intelligent people, because for me it's important to learn. And if I'm smarter than you, then I'm wasting my time. I need to be taught. So I had artists who had defined the the policies and programming of the shape of of the the Council of the Arts. And again, it's. I can create a program, but you add that nuance, that touch, and and it made a difference. And at the same time, I opened up uh, artist studios that were largely, uh, uh, largely supported by grants, so the cost of the artists was very minimal. And two of the artists, Back then in the uh, mid 80s, uh, on uh, 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 well known, um, and one is Pepon Osorio, who's a full professor at Temple, and he's known from all over the world, a Puerto Rican uh, installation artist, uh, he does a lot of media work, and he was one of the artists, yeah, you know, and uh, another one is Michael Kelly Williams, a sculptor, a painter, a printmaker. You know, one of the leading um, then and now African American artists. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm still close friends with them, and I, I, I seek out their advice, their counsel when as needed. Uh, I learned so much about perspective not just putting a, a project, a designer project on paper, but talk to them and, see how it, and shape it in such a way that you know, the voice of the artist is included and it reaches the intended uh, audience. We, uh, I, again, at the very beginning, I made sure that we provided a fellowship program for artists at the Bronx Council on the Arts, and, that's, and that same philosophy carried over to, uh, to this day as executive director of NFOCO, which I took over about six, seven years ago, and I did it as a pro bono. Uh, uh, and I and, and I and I will get to that shortly.
0: Then we had
1: created the Longwood Gallery, which is still in existence and and became internationally known and uh, it, uh, the 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 curator, director, uh, Fred Wilson, uh, who was representing the United States at the Venice Biennale in 2003. Oh, God, was that long? It's almost 20 years now. You know, time, time goes by so quickly. It does. And, you know, and all of a sudden, it. I have these tremendous artists all working for me, all advising me. All, you know, I was sitting there I have a I have wine, or, or in my case, scotch, you know, uh, it, it was just a release for me, and, and I felt so honored that I, you know, that all the artists that we have supported over the years with studios and grants and fellowships at the Bronx Council of Yards, you know, it, many of them just needed the opportunity. I didn't, you know. I said, "Don't ask me for my opinion. This is your work. Do it." You know. And then, from time to time, I, an artist would be out of work and was, you know, and someone that I knew and respected. And you know, it was tough times. I would hire them as, as a consultant. You know, you know. But what should I do? Create and don't annoy me. That's
0: all you got it. Just... <laughs> I actually wonder what it takes to actually create an opportunity for someone. So let's say someone comes to you, they've got a talent, maybe maybe they're very creative. It's a bit unique in, in what they do, but as you said, these people are struggling with opportunities. So if someone was coming to you that was in that situation, what do you do? Like where? Because. If they're looking, they're trying, I'm guessing. They're trying to find these opportunities, but they're just not there. Is it something that you know that they don't know? Do you have connections in certain places? Where do you go for opportunities for the artists? Yeah. Well,
1: it depends on the resources that, that I have available. My office, my door, my phone, my Zoom is always available to artists. Uh, and it was. It was a, a, young, a young musician uh, who had created a brass quintet playing classical music from Puerto Rico, the music of Rafael Hernandez. And he says, you think that's fundable? I got Rafael Hernandez is one of the great composers of the Caribbean. And I traveled to Mexico, Cuba. And certainly, uh, Puerto Rico, where 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 my roots are, and everyone has claimed Rafael and is, is And this this young man said, I, "I've arranged it for a brass quintet. You think it could?" And you know, I just I looked at him. I said, "You know, here's the application. Put put it down on paper. Uh, let's talk. Let's let's see what you want. Let's see." You know, and and the and sometimes the weight of trying to maintain a quintet, a quartet, and trying to find gigs and put and put food on the table for you and uh, your wife is helping. All this, you know, some not many get out of that rut. Some uh, some are overwhelmed and can't. Uh, and can't move forward. Others uh, plan in a very safe, quiet way and, and build quietly. It's it take small steps. He he eventually stopped uh, performing, uh, and I was very disappointed. I wanted him to continue. I could, you know, I would say, listen, I could ask and make sure you get two or three gigs, you know. During the holiday season, you bring it back together, and I just want—I want that spirit that you brought to me to to continue. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's not everyone is going to succeed. Not everyone is going to be hit hit the big time. And you know, and it's when you hit the big time, when you're known internationally, when the when you become the media darling, when you become the flavor. The the of uh, the cultural flavor of the month, which is usually the case for uh, Latinos, African Americans, you know, we become the flavor of the month, you know, or we only can bring one, and we will support one. But that's bullshit, you know. It's you know, I I don't I don't tolerate that. But what's important is that you're there to listen, and and all I can do is. If I can open up doors, I will. And I certainly have opened up doors over the years. But the, the best thing I do is listen and we talk. And this is, you know, the, the norm of the artists who are out there, cross discipline is, is very high excellence. Being an excellent, talented artist doesn't mean you're going to succeed in terms of the market, and, and hopefully you know you, you you stay with it and and uh, you know and c- certainly have some measure of success as you get older without uh, uh, being uh, you know it's the level of quality is very high for the most part. You know, then you have some artists who are lucky and, and don't have the talent, but just zoom up that, that cultural ladder and become the darling of the world. So my answer, my long answer, you know, and in, in one phrase is, I listen. Sometimes I hold their hands. Sometimes I open the doors. Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes you, you succeed I just have this young woman who told me that she has been appointed to George Mason University I uh, she had a tenured position and the last time I you know I saw her was uh, in a restaurant one of the worst waitresses I had I'd ever come across she only had one mandate not to Not to mess up. That was my martini. Do not spill the martini. You can spill the fries. You can spill the burger. You can do whatever. Do not mess with the martini. And, you know, and and coincidentally, I was having having dinner with my wife, and I get a phone call from the search firm who wanted to interview uh, What did I think of her? No, of course I gave her a growing, I mean she was a brilliant artist. She never was is a brilliant artist. And, and, and is is a performance, uh is, is a performance artist, is uh, is a photographer, is a media artist. Um uh, she is a Puerto Rican woman, she's a Latina. Uh you have to work three times as hard to uh, to to move forward, especially. And not just because she's a Latina, but, but she's a woman. Opportunities for women are very, uh, you know, there's still a level of discrimination against against women, especially if you're a uh, Latina or, 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 or black. That is a given, you know. Uh, who's ever in charge, you know, they define the culture of the organization, of the museum, and that, and that, is that and it's that culture that it, they represent will be uh the policy and programming of the institution but it's, but it was always you know she struggled hard and and I appreciated it and that, and I enjoyed her work and I and to this day you know you know she she, she calls me Theo in Spanish uncle or, or called me godfather and you know, and, you know, it, it's just a pleasure to see someone succeed. And, you know, and I just step back, let it happen. You know, with Fred Wilson, I step back, let it happen. But Bongo Sordio, step back, let it happen. Uh, one, one, Wanda Raymondi, that's when one I was talking about. I just step back, you know, let it happen. These are great people. You know, great human beings, as well as fine artists. You know, uh, I I retired, and I won't go through 30 years because my goodness. Uh, But to say that Bronx Council and the Longwood Arts Gallery has the reputation of serving artists, of being the forefront, of addressing issues, whether it's gender issues, whether it's ethnic issues, whether it's racial issues. We were first at uh, the Longwood Arts Gallery. We were, and certainly I, you know, we are pissed off a lot of people. You know, the the cultural attaché of the Russian Embassy in Manhattan wrote this scorching letter to, to the Department of State, and the Department of State is calling me, you know, I said, you know, leave me alone. At the same time, the conservative uh, right wing of the Republican Party was attacking me. They're both attacking me on the same issue, but they had, they, they, one was communist and one was uh, right wing. And you know, it's, it's so nice when so two different entities. Defined by politics, and really did not like each other. Attack me, God, You know what? I'm annoying the whole world. And you know what's great about that? People are listening, and we're talking. And that's what's important. We we are listening. They're listening. We and we touched the nerve, and the nerve was, you know, it was it was the title of the exhibit: Evil Empire. Russia thought it was them. The the conservative right wing thought it was about the United States and how the mirror that they looked into was the mirror, their political mirror that they interpreted, evil empire, you know? And and each one felt it was about them. You know, when you generate that type a response from two different, absolute, from one, you know, so politically different. <clears throat> you know, it's what are they worried about? What is evil empire? What's their conscience telling them? You know, it's. That to me was a fascinating experience. You know, it's, really uh, it, it, it really is how two words, evil empire, how it was so misinterpreted.
0: It's almost like the, the interpretation is almost like what the art leads to. It's almost like the value of art is in its interpretation, almost like the beauty is in the beholder kind of thing. Absolutely. It makes me wonder what your thoughts are on what value of art actually is. Is it as simple as that? Does it make you think? Does it make you interpret things? Make you see the world a particular way? Or is there more to it?
1: Well, you know, I have collected art uh, for the last 30 years or so. And... I ask advice of uh, this uh, this curator that I that I, I know well. Anytime, buy art, buy what stimulates you, know, buy what's what's emotional to you. Uh, and the bulk of my work, eighty percent of the work that I, I have, is based on buying that emotion. The the remaining 20% is, you know, sometimes an artist needs a little, some money. So I'll I'll buy one of their pieces, you know, and then then that expense. Again, it's it's another way that I can affirm their commitment to the arts, that firm. So I do, I know what I prefer. I know what. I know what moves me. Uh, I know how I respond to work. Uh, I mean, the truth of the matter is, about 90% of all the professional arts out there, it's actually pretty dreadful. Uh, not that it's bad, it's just, you know, it's, I, I've i seen better. I know of, Artists for as many artists that are up there as uh, you know, hundred times, thousand times more artists who should be up there. So, I whether I like the work or not, I support it. Whether I whether I like, I am I am committed to what they, the values and position that they represent, and. I support it. I don't have to like it. But I need to support it. You know, you, you can't just... What's the phrase that I, I use over the years? Uh, you, you just can't like the creative process a little bit. Either you support it 100% or not. And that's been my basic philosophy. And. Uh, You know, when I took over, I came to Infoco because I I knew of them, I knew them from the mid-70s, and they were, it's a photography organization back in the 70s, it was a Puerto Rican photographers uh, group, it was a, it was a collective, it was not, it was not created to become an organization. It was created to provide opportunities, exhibition opportunities, for a community that was not that they had very little option in the mainstream world, in the mainstream contemporary world. Uh, the three founders, who are extraordinary photographers, very gifted, and you had a number of artists who were also part of that, uh, a part of that group and they would the idea that they could talk to each other and and, and find comfort and, and understanding of what each other's values were was really um it's what help to create who we are today that collective spirit still remains with us we we we're, we're now we're now we're now an organization have been an organization You know that transition from a collective to the reality you look in the mirror and say well we're no longer a collective we are an organization uh and we have a broader appeal uh that's what uh and i I was part of that universe as a funder and as a friend and i i was able to observe it and i was able to support it wherever possible uh we we uh, for support for organizations always through a competitive process. And I never uh, the, the panel uh, of peers would decide the, the the money that goes out. I was never I was I never adjudicated funding. I always stepped back. That's not my job. That's the that one thing I wanted is a commitment to form. And I don't just a panel. Provide that endorsement, but also has recommendations, as well as perspectives that every organization should listen. to. Uh, so you know that's how I knew uh, in the football. Uh, they they hit on tough times. Uh, the executive director did not return from a from a leave. Uh, the board of directors walked out, and it had it has a legacy, and too many organizations, too many arts organizations, when they go out of business, and should they go out of business, and it's a very, it's a Darwinian type of uh, life out there. You know the strong survive and those go out of it but what about their history who's going to remember their contributions who's going to remember the work of the artists that were part of it and generally when a small group goes out of business like that like that uh, brass quintet who knows about them am am i the only one who knows you know that's 50 years ago uh, 40 years ago how do we preserve our legacies, our histories, and and I and I've been troubled by that, you know, as you know, the fact that the Latino population was always treated as a second-class uh, citizen. How do how do we preserve our histories? That, that, that I mean, and I made it a point that uh, that infoco will be. On some level will be preserved, some level our archives and collection will rest somewhere. Uh I didn't know how, I didn't know where. And I certainly uh, you know, I, I when I came out of retirement, I took this job as a, the head of the as the head of InfoCo on a pro bono level. Uh, I'm still pro bono. You know and and people think it's very generous of me and, that, and i said, so my God I'm as a retired person, what the hell am I gonna do at home? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. You know, uh, these you know, go go on trips. I don't wanna go on trips, you know. Uh, <laughs> and and I and I asked my I asked my wife if she mind if I I went into the office two or three days a week or committed two or three days a week to see what I can do. And she said, fine. I think she was happy to take me out of the apartment. You know, Go, <laughs> I'll drive you. Don't worry, I'll drive you. <laughs> uh, And again, the first thing I did was initiate an artist support program. We've been given out fellowships since 2016. Uh, we're now in our eighth year and we've given out 75 already. The first year was five, the rest have been 10 awards, $1,000 apiece. Uh, and to me, that's that showed how, how much we value the artists and, and how important it is for us to support the artists. Uh, and we sort of, and we and we have our and we have our publication where we're loose. Again, I devoted uh I had to raise the money. You know, it wasn't easy. The fact that I didn't have to pay my salary meant that this organization could could stay afloat. Yeah. A lot of times it suffers from the weight of the administrative costs to keep it afloat. So so instead of and, and instead of supporting the mission that we that was initially created for the organization, many organizations now raise money for the administrative benefit, for the executive director, for the fundraiser, for, for the bookkeeper. You know what I'm saying? Who needs that? You know, that, that kills our community's arts. That kills it all because we are, we exist at the largest of funders now i know that the magazine can always be supported and the fellowships are privately supported Uh, so if i just keep those two and focal will always exist and that's and that to me is that tells me that we can continue we and and I just i I don't want to be an organization you know, so we have part-time people. Every, everyone's a part-time And we've managed to make them, uh, and this is about two years. But, and, you know, part of my coming back was to provide professional programming. And we were in serious debt. And I wanted. to... I wanted to pay off the debt. I wanted to find that, uh, put our archives and collection in a safe place, in the library or someplace. And I wanted to, if we were gonna close, I wanted to close with dignity, walk out the front door. And Foco is an important name. Let's think out the back way you know, and, and and run from all the creditors. Uh, that's not how I do business. Uh, and, you know, we have grown uh, so much since that uh, six years ago. And, um, you know, I was able to, uh, we received the grant, so we were able to hire a managing director who will eventually, so, uh, eventually, uh, take over as the executive director. We have very loyal staff, very efficient staff, very professional staff. And, you know, there's something about being small where we can have fun and create. It's not about being, it's not about bigness. You know, in, in Foco, is more of a state of mind. It's not bricks and mortar, it's a state of mind. Our value, our power is in how people perceive us. And that's what's important to me. You know, I don't need to build a building. I don't we don't have to support an executive director. You know, we have funding a three-year grant from the Mellon Foundation that supports the managing director. And, and when he becomes executive director, you have two years left, and then the funding is up to him. You know. You know, at age, you know, so Bill, are you gonna be part of a five-year plan? So I'm 76. I have, I have a five-minute plan. Can I make it for the next five minutes? Fine. 5 five-year, <laughs> five-year plan. Forget it. You know, it's not gonna happen. You know, it, uh, and again, the source of inspiration has been its legacy, its history, and as we investigate what's in what uh, was in storage and I've had and I have two archivists working on it. And it's all being digitized. Nueva Luce of the the magazine and people have commented to me. Not only is your quality production, the fact that you've been in this has been published since 1985 is rare for an art magazine. And it's rare for an arch and and, and uh, A publication that represents artists of color. And that's, um, and we have digitized all all 70 plus copies, and they're part of our archives. And then early 2023, we'll have the Nueva Luz, which is the name of the publication, Study Center. over so 400 artists and, and cultural writers who are, have participated over the years. That in and of itself is a slice of history, slice of history of individuals who were not part of the formula, who are not part of the mainstream. started with us. You know there are many many several artists uh, and one uh, many uh, of our artists have received many awards. Have you know high recognition? Uh, some are in academia of some are department heads, chairs of departments, some are uh, full uh, assistant associate professors, and you know it's and some are just working artists. But the beginnings are with us when when the museum decides that that would is we. we we are going to collect him. You go back to our New publication, Volume One, Number Two, and you see his work in 1985. And last year he had a solo show at the Whitney Museum. We have his work. We knew what it, the challenges he had back then. The museums may collect the work and may and may produce exhibits, but the reality is, we have evidence. That Started with us, a young artist, an artist with a vision, an artist who didn't know if he was, was going to succeed or not. That. That's in our collection. That's the legacy that I need to preserve. Two years into, uh, two years into, uh, uh, in Focal, I had an intern from one of the universities. He said, Bill, do you mind if I go to the storage and 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 just to uh, uh, assess what you have in terms of the magazines and, and, and come back with a report. You know, and we have uh, college interns, sometimes they can be a real pain in the butt. Sending her to storage, <laughs> you know, you don't have to come back, stay there. You know it. <laughs> She came back, you know, always a brilliant woman. I mean, her name is, uh, first name is Claire. Her last name will come to me at some point. Anyway, she came back with this inventory. And it was the big bang moment for me. I didn't focus. These are 300 plus artists, 40 plus writers, essayists. Wow, look at these names. You know, I, I knew it. I knew about the collections, the archives, emotionally. I knew it, and, uh, here. I talked to people about it, and, you know, I hope support it, but I never realized the value of Mueva in and of itself, that publication, work that it has, that those artists who were presented in that in that publication, to me, is the best resource we could have, and I'm I'm, I'm working hard to find a home for the permanent collection of artworks on slides. and and, and the ephemera, but the digital part of it will always remain part of Infoco. We may partner with someone, but we will have editorial final say in what goes into Loose. That to me is what's most important, the freedom to represent our community as we see fit. Uh, So that's, that was that big bang, and I've been raising money for the, for the for the archives for the collection. I've been we are developing programs based on Nueva Luz. Uh, we we have commissioned one artist to uh, as a pilot to investigate the Nueva Luz archives. The public, what jumps out at you? What can you? What would you create? And if we're funded by the National Endowment for the Arts, we may do five more commissions, you know, and not just limited to Latinos, um, African Americans, or Asian Americans or Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Artists or curators open to everyone because I want the world to see what we have, what, and use and investigate and use it for for, to create. I also want curators, mainstream institutions, to realize. These are the artists we have. I want I want you to know who we have. I don't want to hear from anyone that says I don't. I. I, I don't know where to find artists uh, who are Latino or, or black. And, and my my answer to them is this: study center makes it available. We have uh, a professor from one of the most prestigious universities in New England that in her Creative writing class, you know, it's focused on community issues, social issues. She will direct them to the Nueva Luz publications that you can access. Everyone is, every publication is available to be accessed on our website. And it's no cost. And it's info.co.org. Uh, www.enfoco.org. Use it, see what's there. See, it's see see what stimulates you and um it will be organized in a way as part of the study center so you have you uh, you have a listing of who, who, who what the artists are and what issues they are and that they're in and, and and some of the themes of the of the issues it's it's extraordinary you know it's just all of a sudden when, we, uh, when, when Claire Dorfman came back with that inventory, was the big bang moment for info. We were alive. We have a purpose. Our purpose is to preserve our legacy and use our legacy, because that legacy grows every year with the artists we work with, the fellowships that we give out. So our legacy need is an important, and it will be preserved, and the public will have access to it. We have nothing to be embarrassed about. This is who we are at no cost. You can buy the publication or you can go online and read it. And I, I I, that's. I can't think of anything better that we could do at this point in, our, in, in, in the life of and folks. I think the fact that I, as the executive director, do not, do not have to raise my salary. I can toy around with how do, we, how do we preserve our legacy and how do we use that legacy to create new works or get more people involved. And at the same time, support and contemporary efforts for artists, artists in our community. So it's um, it's been a very, really important experience to me. I realized that at my age, it's, you know, yeah, I'll be less involved. No doubt I'll be just as vocal, and, you know, it, you know, it, uh, I can't imagine anyone ever shutting me up, you know, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really curious about yourself as a collector, whether you have any arts that you would say were unusual, Maybe you've had to justify buying it in some kind of cocktail bar or a pub somewhere with your friends and you realise you have one and they they start asking you questions as to why you you bought it. Do you have anything like that that's unusual, something that maybe you've had to explain why you have it?
1: No, no, it's... uh, uh, (laughs) Actually, it's, you know... You know, I, I, I do it quietly. I don't. I mean, I I I don't boast about it. That you know, well, I'm supporting artists. I, I bought this artist, collection, I bought this, and then and and my and and my wife also buys art. So there, two between between two. This is not high end. Is known artists at the beginning but I certainly don't have any $50,000 pieces or $100,000 pieces or $10,000 pieces, but that matter. Uh, I, I do have some quality work that uh, no one will ever know that it exists. I will donate the work, or I will auction the work off so that to to, to benefit in I, I, I don't, you know, My wife has instructions that if I pass on, uh, this is what she's to do. I mean, she can have it for as long as she wants, but, you know, ultimately it's to be used to support artists, artists, uh, of focal artists. Uh, and she knows the type of artists that, that I've been close to over the years and the, uh, uh, the work that they produce, whether it's, uh, whether it is, uh, whether it's choreographers or poets or, uh, you know, or printmakers. I, I stay away from large sculptures. I, I live in an apartment in New York City. and You know, it's, it's only just so much wall space. And and I have quite a few work up, and I have a lot in storage. You know? But, you know, it's... The apartment that we're in for the first eight, ten years, we didn't have a television. My evening was reading and looking at my art. It was sad. I still didn't. I still look at it and say, damn, it's good stuff, man. You know, and, and it still <laughs> it still resonates. You know, it's, uh, and there are people who say, who will tell me I don't like it. I say, oh, it's not yours and you're out of my apartment. I enjoy it. Plain and simple. It, it's I enjoy the art that I have. I look at it. I appreciate it. It's not a you know. It's not something that I showcase to the world. You know. Sometimes I've you know over the years I've had a few holiday uh, cocktail parties and you know I uh, I invite artists friends um, you know we have a great time but. I don't, you know, they say the artist, it's nice, oh, you know, most times they know the artist. So, so it's cool, you know, it's, I'm not here to boast about, it. I'm here to enjoy it. In the moments out there when I'm, you know, working or, or, or my wife and I are, are, are walking, or, I don't do much walking anymore. but. You know, I love trees. I love trees. And sometimes you can feel their vibe. You know, there's a there's a, there's a park in the in the, in the, in the North Bronx. And the and there we uh, that we go to quite a bit. Well my wife is still a walker, she does the trails in this park. Uh, I have a walker, so I can't do much. So. So I pulled my butt between these two trees. And my God, for the last couple of years, I know they're talking to each other and I know they're trying to talk to me. It's, I mean, <laughs>
0: the
1: energy that between these two trees, you know, it uh, it's just, you know, I feel it, you know? It's, you know it, I mean, we're all part of the community of life. That's that. That's what we're members of. So, I, I got my buddies, the trees, you know, and and you know, I can bring a little bottle of wine. I open it, and I know that the trees will not drink it. They have their own moisture. I have my own moisture.
0: It's wonderful. I wonder what your thoughts sorry would be to- for. It's all right. I wonder what. I wonder what your thoughts would be for artists that maybe want to make it. Maybe they want to do more with their art, want to leave a legacy similar to yourself. What advice would you have to an artist that maybe was coming up and they wanted to achieve more with what they do?
1: Well, first of all, they have to document what they have. And that's the weakness of of many, many artists. You have to digitize it. So you have a record of it and have a complete record. Date when it was done and uh, shows, exhibits, this piece or that piece has been in. And you want to have a record of it. And then you want to organize. You know, people, artists think that if I just digitize it, that is sufficient. You have to organize uh, uh, theme based uh, uh, by dates, by. Days you know, or, or, or if you were, travel somewhere so that uh, curators or others who may be interested in your work or want to be able to dispose of your work in a proper place, in a museum or a library, it's better to have your work organized, and uh, so I, I think that's, that's, that's a priority uh again, how do you do it? and that's something that's an issue as project that I'm, I'm I, that I'm'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying to develop now uh, there are projects like that for visual artists uh, but for, but for this foundation, but the photography does not fit into the foundation's uh, guidelines. So I you know I'm exploring how we can do this either uh, as a training or to help artists uh, help artists develop the work themselves and, and uh, you know, the, the thought that I had about that was that there's some artists who have been, who have documented all their work, everything is nicely organized. One of them is George Malave, a wonderful photographer from the early days of Enfoco. So George, where does it go? Who knows about it? And we have five thousand Latino artists, Puerto Rican artists, photographers, and they all have you now the work is digitized and organized. Who knows about it? How do we? And one of the, one of the thoughts I have is to, and you know, I haven't, I haven't told this to anyone yet. You hear that carousel? I haven't told this to anyone yet. Uh, How do I create, because I need to raise the money for someone to manage it, but that they artists who have their work digitized and organized they can link it to our website to our archives and we have nothing to do with their work other than there's a link to their work and there'll be a list of them artists. this way people will know that it exists somewhere and by being listed with us there's a better chance that others will recognize it and, 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 and be of interest. This is all about preserving legacies. You know, it's, we're not going to manage it. It will be self-managed. And uh, you, know, you know what you have to do. Don't ask us for money because we don't have money. We're broke. Uh, not broke, but, you know, you know, we can, we were able to survive. But this is how do we how do we put this together? That is my next project. As as I as I begin to uh, phase myself out of the of the day to day management of photo and I think this will be a service, an incredible service to artists. At the very least, a training program for artists in our community: how to preserve your work, how to record your work, how to digitize your work. How do you, you know and the quality of it? You know, it's just not taking just not scanning it. But how do you, you know, the quality of the scan. Does it really do justice to your image? Are there enough pixels that I'm talking like as if I know what I'm doing? I have no idea about the computer. You know what I use? <laughs> I, I I use an iPad because. Many years ago at the Bronze Council of New York, I say, "Boss, if you ever touch a computer again, we're all going to walk out. You are you. I mean, you're toxic to technology, so <laughs> don't." <laughs> and if I have issues with you know access, I, I call people in the office. Uh, you know, I you know I call my staff. How do you do this? How do you manage this? And they're so happy that I'm as distant as I could possibly be. Um but that's, you know, you know, that is my thinking. You know it's, again, this is it's a challenge, but not only are we preserve our legacy and focus legacy, now let's look to see who's out there. And they're not part of collections. Uh, they haven't made any real major plans, this could be a
0: service that we offer people. Well, that's that a fantastic way happened. to do it. It is. It, it's a fantastic way to help artists in a way. And the reason why I think it's important is so many people want to do so much that they can leave behind. So maybe it's the mark that they want to leave. They just want something to stick around that outlives them yeah. a lot of the time. And some people want statues, some people want businesses, companies, artists, for the most part, just want their art to last. Just, they just want it to be somewhere that stays there and it, it just doesn't go away. And I like how by preserving other artists' legacies, you're able to preserve your own. And I think it's a very, very generous way of, of doing it. Um, there's a lot to be said for artists that do just fade away they just disappear and hopefully through the work that you guys do less of those will actually fade away and a lot more will will stick around so you've mentioned you mentioned Infoco before is there any other ask that you have of the audience is there anything that you would like people to check out now's your chance
1: I just just visit our website Uh, you'll see exhibits that we've done and it's and and the way we present the exhibits is online it is like a gallery you know it, it's not flat there are you know the a special uh uh program we have uh, we uh, release to present art and that's one level we have each and every level loose issue, uh and you know we uh and we, you know, like right now we have a uh, the fellowship initiative is open to artists and uh, photographers living in New York City and New York State. And the deadline is Monday, November 11th. And then we have a media arts fund, the deadline will be uh, sometime in, in mid December, I, I, I think. So it's, I mean, We don't want to overwhelm you with information, but this is, you know, but uh, there's enough there for anybody to to look at and read. And I've been told uh, very frequently that they, uh, by strangers, that they like to go to our website and, uh, you know, and that they they catch up on just reading the magazines or, or just looking at the pictures, you know, as I do. You know, so, uh, you know, it's, I, I devoted six, seven years at MFOGU, but I've known MFOGU since the mid 70s. And I was very supportive through my organization in terms of funding. So, throughout the, you know, if you look at the, the files and the, the ephemera, you'll see my name. As a funder up and forward, as you move forward, from from 1980s uh, to twenty sixteen, you know you see my name. Then from twenty sixteen forward, you see my name as an applicant. You know, so that whole transit, my history it can be easily tracked uh, as as executive director of Bronze Council on the Arts, and then to uh, to the executive director uh, as as am But the like advice I give people support your local artists.
0: Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Bill, thanks so much. Well, I look forward to keeping in touch. I, Michael, I thank you so much. I hope I
1: didn't talk too much.